Uh, I am happy to have today with me, and I'm grateful that he's here, uh, because I wasn't quite sure how any kind of message would come out from me this week. Um, but uh, back a couple of months ago, or a month ago or so, Aaron contacted me, my nephew Aaron, uh, and said, I'm going to be in Chicago at this particular week. And I said, well, that's unfortunate. I'm going to be in New York. And so we worked it out so that he could be here uh, this Sunday morning to speak to you. Aaron is a recent graduate, last year, 2012, uh, of North Point Bible College, formerly known as Zion Bible College, formerly known as Zion Bible Institute, uh, of which I graduated from in 1988. My wife graduated from there in 1994. My father in 1950, my mother in 52, my oldest brother Sterling in 77, my brother Norman, his father in 1982, his mother in 1985, and uh, so he didn't stand a chance of going anywhere else. His oldest brother Dwayne rebelled and went to Liberty uh, University, but... Um, Aaron stayed on staff uh, to uh, work in the recruiting office of Zion. He is now traveling in different places, recruiting, um, talking to young people about the call of God on their lives, talking to them about what it is that God could have for them uh, at the school. I know the school, uh, and though there have been changes over the year, the mission is still the same, to teach and to train men and women. Uh, to go into Christian ministry in whatever capacity. Uh, in fact, in 2010, I, I graduated again. I became a 2010 graduate with a bachelor's degree from Zion. Uh, and so at the time I graduated, it was a three-year institute. But um, I, I am glad that Aaron is here today. Uh, he has just recently... Uh, been licensed as a minister in the Pendel District of the Assemblies of God. Pendel or Southern Wing? Pendel District of the Assemblies of God. And uh, he is my brother Norman's uh, youngest son. Uh, and he is going to come right now and talk about a little bit about the school, but then he's going to share the Word of God. So I want you to open up your heart today and right now just give him a warm praise tabernacle welcome. Good morning. It's quite an introduction there. I don't know if I could live up to that one. I wish he just said, Aaron's preaching and that's it, but uh, he had to go into all that. Um, before I preach today, uh, I just wanted, you know, I'm here for business in Chicago and so uh, I might as well take care of business first in this regards uh, before I take care of this other business that I'm here for. Um, but like he said, I'm, I'm a recruiter for Zion Bible College, now North Point Bible College. And uh, I have the opportunity to go and share what our school is about to congregations, to youth, uh, camps, conventions, different, different opportunities have come up where I've been able to share about our school. And uh, after church today, if you want to come talk to me about some possibilities. If you want to take some classes, I would love to, to share with you what uh, opportunities we, we uh, can give you for taking some classes to get a foundation on the Word, uh, to maybe understand the Word a little bit better. Um, but we have a packet out there. It tells a little bit about our school, our history, the courses we offer, 
Obviously, we have a four-year bachelor's degree that we offer, and you can major in any of eight different class, uh, in eight, any of eight different majors. Um, so that talks about that in this. Uh, maybe you already have a bachelor's in some capacity. Um, we're actually this fall starting a master's of arts in theology, in practical theology, which is huge for us. Um, we're trying to upgrade and just open up new doors for us to reach pastors out there, reach people who already have a, a degree in some capacity. We're also starting an associate's degree this coming fall. It's a two-year program. Check that out. And last but not least, which would be great for anybody here, um, we offer online courses. And actually, this summer right now, we, we have a 50% discount on all courses. So um, there's 16 classes you could choose from. You don't have to take five to get the deal. You could take one. And uh, it's a really good opportunity to, like I said, get grounded in the word and uh, to know your stuff. Um, so yeah, before I start, I just want to open up in prayer. So please bow your head with me. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for just this day. Thank you for your word. Thank you for its truth and its relevance today, Lord God. I thank you that we don't have to twist the Bible to make it relevant to us, but Lord God, we show the relevance because, God, it is still true today. God, be with these words, Lord God. Hide your servant behind the cross, Lord, in your name. Amen. It's my first time praying, uh, preaching, actually, with an iPad. I think my Uncle Brent uh, inspired me to do that, so appreciate that. He's invested in my life already so much, and it's just great. <laughs> I need some water before I start, too. Excuse me for that. But um, like I said, I, I do a lot of traveling for our school. It's definitely opened up some opportunities for me to, to go different parts of the country. I went as far as Phoenix, and a couple months I'll be going to Florida here. Um, but most of the time when I do my job, I'm sitting behind a desk, which, which can get a little bit uh, boring, get a little tedious. I'm always typing. And uh, for the past few months, I think it's the summertime, for some reason I've had this urge to get, get my hands dirty, to start building things, because I just feel like typing behind, the, behind a computer all day is just making me less of a man. So uh, anyways, like I said, I travel, but I feel less of a man because all I do is sit at a desk all day, and I've been praying, God, you know what, open up a door for me to use my hands, let me go hiking, let me build something, let me do something. And like I said, I'm going to Florida in a few months, and uh, what, what, what I'm going to do there is I'm going to be at a convention center, and we have a 20 by 20 booth that we set up there, and we try to recruit students. There'll be like 15,000 students there. So the, the, ideal, the idea is to get your booth to look as amazing as possible to try to attract kids to come so they could talk to you. And so this task was given to me to try to build a booth, and uh, I'm like, okay, this is a good opportunity for me to get my hands dirty, get it get going with something. So I was like, you know what, I'm going to buy some shelving units and put them together, get them from my I Ikea. I mean, it's not too crazy to put furniture together from Ikea, right? But it was an opportunity for me to get away from my desk so I could build something with my hands. So I bought some tools, and I went away at building these shelving units for about four hours, believe it or not. It just killed me. It was back-breaking stuff, but uh, it, was, it was good time. But I noticed as I got to the end of the four hours... I completed my, my shelving unit, and I looked at it, and I saw there were some holes exposed. It's like, oh, man, I look over, there's some screws that are missing, and I'm like, did this really just happen? Four hours of my day, I just wasted building a shelving unit, and it's not even completed correctly. So I looked at my work, I looked at the shelving unit, I looked at the holes, I looked, looked at the time, like, I don't know, four or five different times, and I was like, you know what? 
I think for today, I did a pretty good job. So I left the shelving unit completely unfinished, but yet it looked good. But I knew in my mind that I didn't fully complete it. You know, I had an opportunity to, to tear it all back down and to restart it. And, uh, you know, I, I chose to just give up and come back to it. Um, you know, maybe you're not like me today where you can just give up on something. Maybe you like being that person that completes it because uh, you have that, that OCD where things have to be fully completed, completed before you can actually say it's, it's done. Um, but, you know, have you ever been in that situation where you had that, that choice to make? Do I go back and start all over or do I go forward? Maybe you, not, maybe, uh, you might not be like me where uh, it's a shelving unit holding you back from completion. Maybe you might be going on a family vacation. How many people go on vacation? I know my uncle just did. Maybe you might go on vacation and your husband takes a turn, right? And it looks right to him, but an hour later you decide, you know what, this doesn't look right, and it turns out you're an hour in the wrong direction. Do you give up on the family vacation, or do you have to retrace your steps to go in the right direction to go where you need to go? You know, we have choices to make. Give up on the shelving unit, give up on the family vacation to Miami, Florida, and just settle for Miami, Ohio, or do, we, or do we retrace our steps and start all over again? In both these cases, you know, we're confronted with those two thoughts, give up or redo it. Um, you know, these two situations I said today, the shelving unit and the vacation, they're really minimal when you look at it from the scope of all of life. But uh, there are times in our lives, you know, when we're faced with setbacks where things like obstacles hold us back from achieving you know, a promise or a completion that may, we may want to go to in life. Um, you know, you might be here today where you're, you're going through life and you have a plan to pay off your mortgage. And uh, you're going directly in the right direction. You're paying it off monthly, monthly. You're doubling even your payments. And bam, something comes in from the hospital. Extra bills come in. And it just seems like, man, an obstacle came in my way holding me back from paying off that mortgage. Or maybe, you know, you're living life and you're loving it and Family's awesome, and you're just trying to live as, as happy and as joyful as possible, and you get a phone call from a relative that says that they've been just given sickness, and there's no way of, of, of cure. You're hit, you're hit with an obstacle that's, you know, you're, you're coming to a place that says, do I give up, or do I move forward and trust in God in these situations? Um, the, only, the only way to fix my shells were to go back and to, to do it all over again. But, um, you know, I eventually did that. In the family vacation, the only way to, to go back to where you need to go was to go backwards. So I'm, what I'm here to speak about today, after all that long introduction, I'm here not to talk about physically going backwards to where we need to go, but I'm talking about mentally going backwards to where we need to go in our minds because there's sometimes when obstacles come our way where they're going to derail us, they're going to try to stop us in our tracks. and we, The only thing that we could do is try to go backwards to the times where God's been faithful in our past that will help us go through these situations in our present. <clears throat> so my title today is called Moving Forwards, Backwards. And uh, we're going to look at a group of people, the Israelites, who could have given up on, on God's promise because of their external predicament, but wouldn't let their surroundings dictate their God-given promise. So if you want to open up your Bibles to uh, Joshua 3, 15 through 17, and 4, 1 through 9, I'm going to read that for us. It's a little long of a text, so bear with me. Starting at verse 15, it says, Now the Jordan is at flood stage all during harvest, 
Yet as soon as the priests who carried the ark reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge, the water from upstream stopped flowing. It piled up in a heap in a great distance away at a town called Adam in the vicinity of Zarethan, while the water flowing down the Sea of the Arabah, that is the Dead Sea, was completely cut off. So the people crossed over opposite Jericho. The priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stopped in the middle of the Jordan and stood on dry ground while all Israel passed by until the whole nation had completed the crossing on dry ground. When the whole nation had finished crossing the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, Choose twelve men from among the people, one from each tribe, and tell them to take up the twelve stones from the middle of the Jordan, from right where the priests are standing, and carry them over with you and put them down to the place where you stay tonight. So Joshua called together the twelve men he had appointed from the Israelites, one from each tribe. And he said to them, Go over before the ark of the Lord your God into the middle of the Jordan. Each of you is to take up a stone on his shoulder, according to the number of the tribes of Israelites to serve as a sign among you. In the future, when your children ask you, what do these stones mean? Tell them that the flow of the Jordan was cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. When it, cro- when it crossed the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. These stones are to be a memorial to the people of Israel forever. So there are three points that I would like us to look at today that I see are going on in this text. Uh, number one, very easily, we see an unexpected obstacle. And that's in the beginning of uh, verse 15. It says, now the Jordan is at flood, state, flood stage all during harvest. Israel was confronted with an unexpected obstacle. Israel was on the doorstep of entering the very land that God promised would be theirs. But standing between them and their land was the river, an impossible situation that looked like there was no way of them crossing over. We know from geography that this, uh, this place that they were was really the only spot for them to cross over into the lands. And uh, if it wasn't hard enough for these people to get over this water with this big group, uh, that that created an obstacle in and of itself. But now we see that it's in a harvest uh, season, making it a flood stage warning. Um, I guess you guys have a lot of flooding here, so uh, you understand what I'm talking about. We don't get that much flooding in the Northeast, but you guys understand very well what flooding does. Um, But I've heard scholars say that in these times of harvest, the, the river would actually be two miles in width at different spots. And so that's what they faced. They, they faced a really just an impossible situation right in front of them, holding them back from the promise that God had for them. Um, earlier in this chapter, God shows Joshua how they were uh, exactly supposed to cross over the Jordan. But, uh, you know, so for him, I'm, I'm sure as they camped by these waters for three days, I'm sure he was sitting there, you know, not really too nervous about what was going on possibly sitting on a lawn chair, um, soaking them in some sun, eating some falafels, uh, you know, not really worrying too much, maybe some fig newtons. But he wasn't really worrying too much about how they were to cross over because God already gave him the details of what was supposed to happen for the people. But I wonder about the people who did not hear the details from God. I wonder about the people who heard the promise from God, uh, but they didn't know the details exactly for how they were supposed to get over into the lands. What were they thinking at night when they were in their tents, you know, drinking their pomegranate juice? What were they thinking uh, when, when the, the sight of the river was right in front of them, when it looked impossible, look, when it looked like there was no hope? What were they thinking? And I assume they do the, uh, you know, the natural response. What do we do when we're faced with obstacles in our lives? We worry. We sometimes question things. We question, uh, you know, am I really doing what God wants me to do? Um, 
But for these people, I can't really give them any credit for worrying because God gave them a promise way back to Abraham in Genesis 12. We see in Genesis 12, 1 through 3 and 6 and 7, God is talking to Abraham and is giving him a promise. And God says to Abraham that I will make you a great nation. He also tells him in 6 and 7, to your offspring, I will give you this land. So the people, they should have this promise already in their minds, but they're letting an obstacle like this possibly hold them back from from receiving the promise that God might have for them. See, the thing about that promise was that from the time he gave it to Abraham till now, it was about 400 years. For this, so th- this was actually the, the climax, really, of the whole story for Israel. This was their climax. But right before their, their promise, there was, a, there was a big obstacle. You think, uh, you know, you think now that they were faced with this obstacle, many of them forgot the promise? When we're faced with obstacles in our lives, do we often forget the things that God said in our life? We do that, don't we? We make things so much bigger, and they, they kind of make us forget the things that are going around us, what, what have been promised to us in the past. <clears throat> have you ever had a promise from God? I think we all can say we've had a promise from God in our life, right? Promises are something we hold on to dearly. I can remember as a kid, you know, my parents making me a promise. My dad would possibly say, son, we'll go to Chuck E. Cheese. That's always a, a favorite as a kid. Or my mom would say, I would give you a, I'll give you a video game if you do your, uh, if you do your chores correctly. But, uh, you know, as a kid, I would annoy my parents constantly because a promise was something that I loved. It meant, meant that I was going to get something, right? So, so promises for us are something that we hold on to dearly, right? And uh, we don't let up on pro- promises because they mean a lot to us. But how many know that there are times when our faith gets tested because unexpected things come our way, holding us back from the promises that God has given to us in our life. Oftentimes, reality just doesn't meet up with what God has said to us. Am I right? These situations uh, are really where the enemy tries to trigger us, where he tries to attack us in our minds. He tries to make us question who God is. The enemy would not like nothing more for us to look at our circumstances uh, to start questioning whether or not God actually spoke to us, whether they're actually true. Um, does God really want you to have that promise? See, the, the devil always tries to get us to question God because he knows if we could, get, uh, if we could question God, then we'll try to um, you know, forget everything that God said in our life. The Bible says in John 10.10 10, that the, the thief comes only to steal and to kill and to destroy. It's in the do- job description of the enemy to try to get us to question everything of God. So anytime you have any thoughts when you're faced with obstacles that are, uh, that are just wrong, that are not what God said, you know that's not, that's not anything from God. That's not anything good. That's from the devil because he's trying to destroy you. He's trying to kill any hope that's in your life. Um, look back in the, the history of the Israelites. It was, it was the Israelites who froze when they saw Goliath. They saw their obstacle right in front of them. They saw that they could have had victory, but they chose to freeze because they made their obstacle look so big right in front of them. But it was a man of faith known as David who chose not to look at man's circumstances, but he looked at what God promised Israel, and he went through in faith, and he killed the the giant. We have to be people of faith and adversity today when we're faced with troubled times, correct? It's oftentimes right behind our biggest obstacle where God's promises are fulfilled. He's just asking you to trust him, to stay the course, and to be faithful. 
You know, uh, my Uncle Brent and I, we were all talking last night at dinner, and uh, he mentioned my brother, when he was a kid, always asked the question, why? Um, he asked it with every, every question, but we're all aware that kids ask why. They want to know why they have to do something. Um, so you're probably sitting here today, why should I trust in God when I'm facing these circumstances? Why should I trust in him when some people say that he's probably the one that brought this upon them? Why should I trust in God? Let me answer that as simple as possible. We can trust in God because he's already met our needs in the past. So number two today, number two, your past gives you faith for the present. Let's go back to the Israelites. Here they were stuck, a flood between them and their land. What would they do when they were faced with an obstacle? Uh, In 15b and 17, it shows that the people lived by faith, and they went across the river. It was the, it was the uh, priest who took the first steps into the water. I'm sure some of the priests, though, thought it was a bit odd for them to be walking with the Ark of the Covenant in their hands into the water, correct? But uh, I'm sure as they took one step, they began to witness the waters building, stopping uh, upstream. And for the priests and all the people of Israel, I'm sure they could look back in which it gave them faith right now, they could look back in their history of their existence and see that God was faithful throughout their whole history, and if he was faithful to them then, then he'll be faithful to them now. And as they walked through, I'm sure they were probably retelling of the stories of when God was faithful to them before. I'm sure they were telling of the time when they were slaves and considered worthless by the Egyptians. But it was God who took a Hebrew boy, had his parents spare his life by putting him in a basket and put him in the river, it was a, uh, he eventually drift, drifted down to Pharaoh's palace. We know the story. And the, the woman picked, her, uh, picked him up out of the, the river. Uh, he eventually grew up in that house of the Egyptians. But one day, due to events, he left home. While he was God, gone, God spoke to him through a burning bush. God said to Moses that he was going to deliver the Israelite people out of the land of Egypt. And it was him who was going to be the man to do it. So Moses went to Pharaoh, right? And uh, he asked that he would let God's people go, but Pharaoh refused to do so. It looked impossible for Moses. It looked impossible in his circumstances to get a whole nation uh, free from Egypt. But to man's standards, it looked impossible. But to God, all things are possible. We know that eventually God sent ten plagues on the Egyptians and eventually softened the heart of Pharaoh and he let the people go. So I imagine as the people were crossing the river, that was one of their stories that they like to talk about. I'm sure they talked about the one time that they were uh, fleeing from Egypt, and they were confronted yet again with another uh, huge obstacle in front of them. Before them now was the Red Sea, and pursuing behind them was the Egyptian army. The Israelites complained and grumbled against Moses, saying, you brought us out here to kill us, and they were complaining yet again. Their external circumstances looked too impossible by man's standards. How were they to cross the sea without any boats, no bridges, and no time to get around it? It was another time where God was able to perform another miracle on behalf of the Israelite people. God told Moses to lift his staff and the seas would depart. And we know that he lifted the staff and they walked through on dry land. And as soon as they crossed the other side, the the sea uh, went back into its original form, devouring all the Egyptian people. And not one Israelite was spared that day. We see another time when they were traveling through the wilderness in Exodus 16. You can read the whole story, but for time's sake, uh, what we see is that the Israelites are hungry. They want food. They're walking through the desert. There's no chance to gather food. There's no chance to even grow food. There's, 
what, thousands, millions of those people, and there's no food for them to get. So they complain once again. How many know we're people? We complain. We do things that God just doesn't like because we don't trust in him. But God is faithful yet again to the people of Israel. And he says that he will rain down bread in the mornings and manna in the evenings. Confronted with hunger, God met their need. And lastly, another one of many, Exodus 17. The Israelites are again in the desert. They had food coming from God every morning. They had provision coming in from morning and evening. But this time they were without any water. So again, they complained to God, complaining about their circumstances. God, we're going to die. Moses, we're going to die. We have no water. We have food, but we have no water. You promised us land, but we have nothing. We have no water to keep us going. Being who God is, he was faithful yet again and told Moses in Exodus 17 to take a staff and to strike the rock. And what does Moses do? He strikes the rock, and the water comes forth from the, uh, from the rock. And they were, they were given water. You see, when Israel was faced with tremendous obstacles in their life, they trusted in God. When nations said there was no other way they could survive, God proved himself faithful time and time again. He showed up in ways that no other God, no other man, no other thing on this world could do. And I wonder today if we're faced with obstacles, if we're faced with trials and uh, hardships, what do we do when we're left dead in our tracks? You don't know, if you don't know what to do, you're forgetting to do one thing, and that's to look to the past to see where God has been faithful to you before. It's so common for us to look at our predicaments and make them bigger than they actually are, correct? I mean, you know, we're on Facebook. Ah, cat died today. Lord, save me. You know, and we, make, we made situations like a cat dying so much bigger than they actually are because our thoughts are being so consumed by something so little something that doesn't even have any light in eternity. But what should we do when we're facing these obstacles? We should remind ourselves of all the times God's been faithful to us in the past. We should praise him and thank him for his faithfulness because the more we make God bigger, the smaller our obstacles look. What we do in these obstacles, we need to not focus on what we're looking at, but we need to focus on who we're serving. See, God will never go against his character, right? God is faithful yesterday, He's faithful today, and he's faithful forever. You can be confident and rest assured that if God was faithful to you once, he will be faithful to you again. In what ways has he been faithful to you in the past? I'm not going to ask for any stories right now, but I'm sure we can all look at uh, circumstances in our own life and think about the times that God has been faithful, where he has proved himself to be true, to be who he says he is. You may be here today, possibly looking back to the times where the marriage looked like it was in shambles. It looked like there was no hope. And so what did you do? You turned to God. There was nothing else to do but turn to God, but God. And over time, instead of uh, throwing discouraging words at your spouse, you started giving affirmative words. Instead of uh, just watching TV all the time, you'd start praying and believing God to restore a marriage. And over time, that love that you once had started coming back and it was restored fully to what it used to be. You see, the God who was faithful in restoring that impossible situation of your marriage is the same God who will be able to restore anything in your life today. Be confident and know that he is the same. You may be thinking about your situation right now and just saying, you know what, it's really just too hard. I can't bear it. You know that Jeremiah 32, 27 says that there is nothing too hard for God. Anything that you're facing today, God will be faithful. 
Don't think that it's too unbearable. You can look in the scriptures and, scriptures and see all the times that God was faithful to the people. If you're going through a circumstance, search the scriptures. I'm sure you could find your situation in there and see that God has proved himself before. <clears throat> see, the, the past is supposed to be there as confidence, supposed to build our faith. And uh, wherever you are today, Hebrews 13 5 says that God will never leave you and he will never forsake you. Everybody else in this world may have left your life. You may be all alone, but there is somebody that will stick closer to you than a brother. He will never leave you and he will never forsake you. In our school's history, we're known as the school of faith. I think, I'm sure my Uncle Brent has told stories about our school before, but uh, there was times when literally there was nothing in the kitchen cabinets. Uh, this was when people were paying tuition like $200 a semester. I, I wish we could go back to that, amen? <laughs> but there would be time when there would be no food, and they'd, and they'd have nothing else. They'd have no money. They'd have nobody to turn to, but they had only one person to trust in, and that was God. And a random truck from Mars Hill, Maine, would show up with potatoes in the front of the school at the right time, and they'd have food to eat. They had about 20,000 different ways to cook potatoes back then, but God was faithful to provide for those people. And there was another time, I hear this story as well, where they had no food. And it wasn't a uh, truck that came from Mars Hill this time. Instead, it was a produce truck which randomly broke down right in front of the school. And instead of throwing away, the guy said, do you guys need this food? And the president said, you came at the right time. But it's because people of faith trusted and prayed to God that things like this happen. You know, recently we faced a really impossible situation in our school's history. Um, I don't know if you remember, about 10 years ago, there was a club fire in Rhode Island. About 100 people uh, died in that, that incident. Does anybody remember that one? Um, so at that time, our school was located in uh, Barrington, Rhode Island, and we were faced with a 2 to $3 million bill because the whole state was going into panic about uh, fire codes and the, the sprinkler systems. And at that time, we were fully in debt. Our school enrollment wasn't looking good. And it really looked like the school was just going to have to close up. But there, luckily, you know, there's people that were on that campus who remember the God that gave them the trucks in the past. And they were the ones who prayed us through in this situation. And it was a businessman in the South from Hobby Lobby, his name's David Green, who heard about our story, bought us a brand new campus for $10 million, renovated the whole campus, and sold it to us for $1. Because the God who we serve was faithful to us before, and he promised that he would be faithful to us in that situation. See, and, it's, and, and what the crazy part is, we're, we're in debt. Our, twi uh, our school population didn't look good. But I can say today that we're completely debt-free. We have 400 students compared to 200 that we had at that time. He's literally doubled our, uh, our student body in about five years. By man's standard, they'd say that there's no chance for you guys to even be where you are today. But with God, he made it possible because with God, all things are possible. See, it's stories like these where people like myself, people like my uncle uh, Brent or Pastor Brent Lawrence, I apologize for that. It's stories like that, <laughs> stories like that where we could hold on to it for the future. I don't know where our future is going as a school. I think it's pretty bright. But if we ever face trials again, we could hold on to these stories once again and believe in the same God. It was Israel's past that helped them take the face steps into the flooded waters. It will be your past that will help you 
Get past your obstacles today, whatever you're facing in life. And the last point I want us to look at that I see going on in this story comes from uh, Joshua 4, 1 through 7. I won't read it again, but uh, what I get from this is that we must leave a legacy for future generations. Number three, leave a legacy for future generations. God asked Joshua to do a simple act, set up a memorial in a place to show the future how God helped them through an impossible situation. This memorial served as a twofold purpose. It showed how God stopped the waters in this time so they could cross it, but it also showed the future that God was faithful in his promise that he made 400 years ago. This simple act may have seemed like it wasn't much to Joshua, but the impact that it would have on the future was literally immeasurable. This memorial was something that the people of Israel could use uh, for their future as something to hold on to. It was something that, they, that would set them apart from any other nation in this world because this memorial showed everyone who saw it that God had moved in their history. Without places, memorials, testimonies, we can easily forget what God has done in our lives. God knew that if people didn't have reminders of what he did, they would forget who he is. Over time, Israel neglected to tell their kids, their grandkids, future generations about God's faithfulness. And the people turned their hearts to false gods, to false idols. We know that. We can see that in the, uh, the rest of the Old T- Testimony. They turned their attention to different gods because they forgot about the faithfulness of God. They didn't realize that their testimonies had great significance to the future of Israel. <clears throat> so we must not neglect the importance of sharing of God, what God has done for us in the past to future generations. We must share it with anybody that we see. Many people today are searching for something that will give them peace, a hope, a freedom. And we hold the answer because we've already experienced it ourselves. There are signs all over, all over the world, literally, of people turning their attention to things uh, for fulfillment. It's, it's really sad. People turn their things to, to objects. They turn their uh, attention to, to people for fulfillment. Um, and it's just sad to see that they're missing out on what we have. They think they'll get satisf- satisfaction from what they, what they try to latch on to. There's no truth coming from those things, but we hold the truth inside of us. You know, I remember the days, I don't know if you guys do it here anymore, but we had testimony services on Sunday night. I remember being as a little kid, sitting in the pew, just fooling around in my coloring book. I'd probably be sleeping half the time. But I remember there were times on a Sunday night service where a certain man, a certain woman would stand up and they would talk about the faithfulness of God. And for some reason, as a kid, that really touched me because I didn't, I was too small to really understand trials and tribulations. But as I started growing up, stories started coming back to me about when uh, Tom would come, uh, would come to church and tell about what God has done in his life. Those stories would come back to me and I could say, hey, you know what? If he went through that and got over it with God, I can do the same thing too. So let us never, let us never put aside testimonies. Let us never... Uh, hold back what God wants us to do, and that's to share with others what God has done in their life. Um, I can remember at the age of six, I went to a camp. Pastor Lawrence went to it as well, known as White of Bible Camp. Uh, I don't know, have you shared any s- stories? Okay, not much, but it's, it's literally a camp that's been around for a little over 40 years, and uh, it's just not any random camp to me. 
he went there. My, my father went there. My whole family's been there. Um, there's great significance when I go back to that place. I can look at spots on that camp, and I can remember places where a, a certain young lady stole my heart. I wanted to add, we had a banquet where you go and dress up all nice and find out who's king and queen of the camp, and I remember that spot where I asked her to go with me. I remember spots where I hit my first home run at the softball fields. I can remember the spot where I was dunked in the leech field pond for the first time. I can, you know, uh, I can remember the place, you know, where uh, I pulled the pranks. I love doing pranks. Uh, all I could say is there's spots that I can remember there specifically. They're there for a purpose. But more importantly, I can go back to the places where God met me in my need. I can go to the altar, and uh, if this was the altar right here, I could point over here and show the time where God called me into the ministry. I could point over there and point the time where God filled me with the Spirit. They're important to me. They're spots. And you know what? I could go to anybody in the camp, I'm sure, and ask them, where did God meet you? And they could point to that exact spot as well. Um, I remember the night I was, you know, filled with the Spirit specifically. Uh, like I said, I was filled kind of the same location as that front pew right there. And uh, for some reason, my camp director, her name is Sister McIntyre, for some reason, she was looking at me the whole time. I don't know why. But after the service, I ran to her. She was like a third grandmother to me. And I told her, Sister Mac, Sister Mac, I got filled with spirit tonight. And uh, she said, I had my eyes on you the whole time. And I was like, why would you do that? And she said, because that exact same spot that you got filled with the spirit, that was the same exact spot your father got filled with the spirit too. And, uh, you know, that spot holds significance to me because it's the same place my dad was filled. But it's also a place where God met me in my need. It's where I said, God, I can't do it by myself anymore. I need your power. I need your strength to fill me. And so whenever I bring my kids there someday, when I show my, camp, my campers some, uh, that spot, I could say, you could have your own spot as well. Because God, who is faithful to me in my need, will be faithful to you where you are as well. How are you going to share God's faithfulness to the future generations? There's a generation, my generation right now, totally turning their back to God. They want nothing to do with him because people aren't taking what they're supposed to do, and that's to share the gospel with, uh, with other people. They're looking for something. They have no hope. They have no hope when going through tough times, tough situations, and we have the answer. So you may be here today stuck. You're at a crossroads. You may have been just hit with something hard in your life. An obstacle has come between you and what God said he would bring in your life. You may think it's too unbearable. You're not sure what to do, how to do it. But I'm asking you to apply this message that you heard today. Apply what the Israelites did. They looked to the God who was faithful in the past to help them through in this circumstance. Without seeing his faithfulness before, it will be hard to trust him today in your troubles. If you have to, look at this story, like I said, and look at how he's faithful to them and apply it to your life. There is truth during trials that we face in, in any area of our life. Romans 8.28 says, In all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. You may think your trial is negative, but there's good at the end of your trial if you'll just hold on and stay faithful. Israel fulfilled, they, they found the fulfillment of their promise at the end of their obstacle. They partook of the fulfillment. And we can partake of God's promise if we hold true, if we hold faithful to what he said. Like I said, obstacles come our way. 
Let us use our past to give us faith for right now. And may we never forget to tell future generations about what God has done in our lives. Amen. Let's pray. Hallelujah. God, I thank you for who you are, Lord God. There is nobody else like you on this world, Lord Jesus. God, all uh, scholars, people, they try to define you, Lord God, but nobody can define you, God, because you're so much greater than what our books can say, Lord God. You're so much greater, Lord God, because you're personal in our lives, Lord Jesus. You're not a God who, who can't even move, Lord, but you speak in our situations. God, your hand is in our lives. Your hand has been in our past. God, they will be in our future, Lord God. I pray right now for anybody that may be going through obstacles, circumstances in their lives that just look too unbearable. God, may you whisper to them in your still small voice that you're right there next to them, that you will be faithful to them today, Lord God. May they trust you, Lord God. May they not waver in their faith, Lord God, but let them know that you are there. God, may we hold true to who you are. May we hold true, Lord God, in sharing the word that we possess, Lord God. May you open up the hearts and the minds, Lord God, of the people that we may reach, Lord God, with our testimonies. God, I thank you for who you are, Lord God. Show yourself uh, faithful to these people today, Lord God. In your name, amen.